Good morning, beloved church, brothers, sisters, friends. We're continuing our series on one another and much-needed series. I hope you're paying attention and also applying this to yourself and not just taking it as a familiar matters. T- today, we're going to go to Romans chapter 14. You could, you could make your way there. Romans chapter 14, we will look at very, very controversial subject of judging one another over people's opinions. And I'm glad that we don't allow rotten tomatoes in the congregation, because some of you might want to throw at me at some point of the sermon. But I try to be uh, diligent and presenting what the Bible say, and do not say what the Bible does not say. So Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 12 I'll just give you context before we read. And the context of this chapter is Jesus uh, saved people for adopting them in his family. And he gives us a bunch of instruction, clear instructions, what is to be a Christian. But as we find in every book of the Bible, we find something uh, of a problem. Every book of the Bible, especially New Testament, every epistle was written because there was some problem in the church. In Romans, in Roman church was not different in that. In Roman church, there were a clash of people who were Gentiles and Jewish with different traditions. And they have actually a quarrels and judgment against one another. And so we're not the unique church in the New Testament. There are people who are fighting all over the place. But Paul is writing Romans, and in chapter 16, in verses 17 and 18, he gives the key to understanding of this book, and he said, watch out for those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching. He said, the problem is that someone just provokes this issue and boiling the issues of of different opinions so that you don't have peace. And so, therefore, he writes the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, he gives great exhortation and and doctrinal and exhortation of of the gospel, but it's all because there was a problem. So when we go to the scripture, we see that God really, really wants us to to learn how is it to live with one another? How does it that we accept one another? How do we love one another? How do we dwell in unity? Now, I stumble upon... uh, a poem that kind of represents pretty, uh, uh, pretty well the church. It called a poem by Karen Maines, and I'll read it to you. I know it's a little bit lengthy, but I just thought it's, uh, you know, it's good. The poem called The Church is Brawling Again. The wedding guests have gathered in great anticipation. The ceremony of the performed today, uh, to be performed today has been long awaited. The orchestra began to play the anthem, and the choir rises in proper precision. The bridegroom and attendants gather in front of the minister. One little saint with her flower hat leaned to another and saying, isn't he handsome? And she said, oh yes, he's the Mr. Handsomeness himself. One by one, the bridesman and bridegroom and all the people just went in a procession. Several flower girls, you know, throw the paddles on the unmarked aisle cloth, and the sound of the organ raised all people, and joyfully people in great anticipation turning their heads to look at the bride. Everyone stand, and then a horrible gasp explodes, ah, from the congregation. This is a bride like no other. In she stumbles, something horrible has happened, one leg is twisted, She limps pronouncedly. The wedding garment is uh, tottered and muddy. Great rents of dress leave her scarcely modest. Black bruises can be seen. Her bride's nose is bloody and eye is swollen. Patches of her hair look like they had actually been pulled from her skull. Fumbling over the key, the organist begin again. After his shock paused, the attendants cast down their eyes. The congregation mourned silently. Surely the bridegroom deserved better than this. 
that bridegroom, prince who has kept himself faithful to his love, should find consummation with the most beautiful of the women, not this, his bride, the church, has been fighting again. Isn't it sometimes remind us? We come to church, want to find peace, and all of a sudden we find some difference of our opinions and the quarrel comes up. So as we come to Romans chapter 12, we are finding ourselves in the gray area, in the gray area of Christian life. There are many areas in Christian life that are clear, white and black. Like for instance, in chapter 13, we read just Alec read for us, that there are some things that are undisputable. We can't dispute about things, for instance, like you should not commit adultery. There's no dispute about it. There's no opinion about it. You should not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. There are commandments. You should love one another, and so on. But there are other areas in our lives that we elevate to the same level. I like how Pastor Ray Seedman is given background to the message on chapter 14, Romans chapter 14. He said the most favorite indoor game of Christians is try to change one another, according to your own opinion. He said, as this passage indicates, this has been a major problem in the church for centuries. All through the history of the church, the problem arises from the attitude that most of us share. I'm sure that God is clearly pleased with the way we live, but there are Those that others around us, they drink beer, they play cards, they go to movies, they smoke cigars, they work on Sundays, they wear lipsticks, they dance, they play musical instruments, they use zippers instead of buttons. There's an endless list of things that can be included, debatable matters in the church. We're dealing, of course, with the problem of Christian taboos and no-nos. Every one of us have this list that we bring to the church and say, well, this is not appropriate to do as Christians. The question is, is this your opinion or this is the clear teachings of the Lord? Now, the predominantly what Paul is teaching in this passage, and I don't want us to miss it as we read, that Paul does not want just to instruct about how to deal and what is right and what is wrong, but he wants to instruct how to deal with one another and deal out of love and consideration and tolerance with one another. Because most important in this passage is the relationship with God and with each other, rather than your lifestyle. We learn to love that love must be patient and tolerant here. Even if people disagree with us, it begins with our actions towards someone who is regarded as less enlightened than ourselves. Right? If someone disagrees with you, you thinking that, okay, he just doesn't understand it. And so therefore, the main point of the passage, as we read, and you kind of track with me, that our love must be patient and tolerant of others' believers' opinions, especially, especially when we're dealing with the gray areas of life, when it's not clearly spoken in Scripture. So please read with me. Chapter 14 says this, now accept the one who is weak in faith. Chapter 14, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. I'm glad that there's this verse in the Bible. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he will stand or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he, who, for he give thanks for, to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and give thanks to God. For no one of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 
For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself. As we tackle this text and as we try to uh, communicate the main point that our love must be patient and tolerant, even though people disagree with us, our main point of dealing with one another and addressing one another and encouraging one another is not to be right, is not to be right, is not to correct another person even, but our dealing and the purpose and the bottom line of Christian fellowship is to build one another faith. Build one another faith. So when you're dealing with one another, when you arguing, when you're disputing, when you try to communicate your point of view, what is the main point that you try to do? To correct his view or to build his faith? And I would say that Paul is saying that we should be all about people's faith and encouraging people to believe in the Lord in their clear conscience. So we're going to split this passage in three points. Number one, Paul in verses one to three, he says, accept one another, do not despise. Accept one another, do not despise. This is the prime point of these verses. He said, look, you have to accept one another rather than passing judgment. Now, this is extremely hard when people disagreeing with us to accept them. Paul says, now accept one another who is weak in faith. Because of this is the matter of opinion, as I said. <laughs> it's interesting that when we're dealing with the clear cut of the scripture about the commandments, there's no opinions. But they, these are, he's talking about opinions, what to drink and what, what days to celebrate. It's a matter of opinions. It's not a matter of, of the instructions. For instance, like bringing down, down the earth, is drinking beer is a taboo. Is drinking a glass of wine is a taboo. Uh, taking a vaccine of COVID, from COVID-19 is this bad thing. Well, well, we are dealing with this, right? And people are passionately defend their point of view like if it's written in Isaiah 45, somewhere in verse 12, that vaccines are forbidable or the other way. But it's not. You would not look through all the scripture, and you could justify, but you would have to invoke a, a Christian kind of gymnastics to go around these passages and to bring this point of view and say, well, that says the Lord. But Bible, it says, well, very carefully, when we're dealing with these issues, treat them as opinion. Treat them as opinion. Bible tells us that people have the right for their opinion. Therefore, he says, do not pass judgment on other opinion because God allows them to have their opinion because God wants everyone to convict, have a conviction of their own faith and act by faith. And that's what's most important. Instead, Bible forbids to judge in and forbids to impose your own opinion on others. This is clearly from the passage. Do you see that now accept one another who is weak in the faith, but for the, not for the purpose of passing judgment. Bible forbids to enslave people to your own opinion on these matters. We must give room to the will of man to come to the conclusion empowered by the Holy Spirit that he would act in faith and only then it would be pleasing to the Lord. And Paul protects this conviction in verse chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 16, he said, therefore do not let what is for you good thing be spoken as of evil. Don't let it. What Paul is saying, is saying that God give you liberty and God is all about your liberty to walk in faith that nobody enslave you to do it otherwise. It would be interesting, like in a, on celebration of the 4th of July, right? In 1776, there was kind of the revolution and then there was a, uh, North America fought their way to the freedom and now we're celebrating 4th of July. But it would be funny if you would put your uh, British flag up top of your roof on 4th of July and start waiting, celebrating. 
right? People would say, hey, dude, calm down. You know, you probably don't understand the meaning of this whole liberation and freedom from, from the crown. Calm down. Otherwise, we're going to deport you or something, right? So here, we too, we bring these taboos as of thus says the Lord, waving the flag that this is the commandment of the Lord, enslaving people. But God said, no, Christ liberated them to freedom to act in their own will, empowered by the Holy Spirit to have convictions so that they act by faith, by faith. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 23, it says anything that is not by faith is what? Sin. So, it's important not to violate your conscience on this matter. It's important to stay in your freedom. But it's also important to understand who are these weak in faith. You see, when we read this passage, it says, now accept the one who is weak in faith. And automatically, I assume that you think that you're strong in faith, right? This is how we read. We read, uh, we re- we'll watch the movie, we associate with the good guys always. We read the Bible, we're always a good guy. You know, we read the, uh, the story of, uh, of two people, Jesus said, come to the temple to pray, and one is Pharisee, and he prays to himself, and we automatically associate him with the lowest guy, with the good guy, right? But Babel says, look, we have to figure out who is this weak person is. Because I think we misunderstand that weakness. It says, weak in, who is this weak brother? Now, I want to mention that it's not that he's weak in, that he is weak believer. It's not a second-class believer. It's not a weak believer, so he's struggling with all things. No, he's weak in the faith. There's a definite article there. He's weak in the faith. He does not grasp what the gospel means completely. He's on the journey. And there's a stronger brother who understands his freedom and liberty that he has in Christ, that God liberated him from the law and from the all, all that enslaves him. And it's interesting that in this text, the weak in the faith is the one who is more strict in his diet. You see, the weak in the faith, he rejects to eat meat. But the liberal eats everything. The strict in his faith he, he, he is more conservative, I would say, with all that he does. He dresses up properly. He wears the ties instead of not, and stuff like that, right? Uh, he doesn't drink certain things. He doesn't eat certain things. Now, we have to put in the context that in that particular, it's not only just about diet. It's about religious exercises. And the reason why this weak brother didn't eat meat is because he thought that this meat defiles him because it was offered to idols, now, for the, for the, you know, we could understand the idolater coming from idolatry to Zeus and worshiping Zeus and, and doing these practices and bringing this choicest meat as offering, and then he converts to Christianity. Now he's confused and saying, well, I just did that. I don't want to participate in that thing. I don't even want to touch that meat. I don't want to deal with that meat. I'm just going to eat vegetables. So, so just in case, if accidentally I buy that meat, I don't sin. But the stronger brother, understand that meat doesn't make him defiled at all because meat is meat. It's just just a piece of meat. In fact, the stronger brother said, well, I'm going to utilize these resources because usually they bring the best meat to offer at the discounted price. And so he goes and, you know, and rallies in Rome and just buys the choicest meat offered to idol and pays the cheap money and he eats it. And so... Paul says, well, meat doesn't make you defile, but we could understand the weaker brother is more stricter in their diet, in their views, in their regulations, and they don't wear lipsticks perhaps, and they have all sorts of things. But Paul says, look, and I'm telling you, like I'm I'm associating with the stronger brother here because I like to eat meat. (laughs) I'm really really glad for this this piece, you know, of the scripture. But they are more conservative in their lifestyles. Those who do not eat certain things, those who not do drink certain drinks, they don't mix up with people who do those things, right? There's even to the second degree separation. Since you eat the meat and you are defiling yourself, I'm not going to associate it with you. 
Since you do those things, I'm gonna cut myself from you. And so it goes to that. But what do we do, Paul says, what do we do as a stronger brother who understands that we are liberated by the gospel and none of these things have any matter on our salvation or our sanctification? I can't sanctify myself with a piece of meat at all or eating or not eating. But Paul said, look, be very careful by casting your opinion about that weaker brother and making him change his mind and just pushing him over, run him over with your stronger view. Just be very careful. And he said, this is what you do with him. You accept him as he is. You accept him. You welcome him in. You don't ostracize him. You understand that the gospel gives you grace and liberty? Great. Praise the Lord. Stay in it. But don't cast judgment on the one. Don't look in the contempt and say, well, oh, you're a weak brother. You don't even understand the gospel. You know, we've been taking these classes, and so we're strong. But I mean, you kind of have to grow up. We have to deal with them like we deal with children. We deal with children. Now, it's not to say, like, we, you know, when we say we're dealing with children, we say we're dealing with tolerance and compassion and a lot of patience, right? A lot of patience. And they don't share our opinion, by the way. They have no opinion on matters, or they have their own opinions, but we still accept them. We never say to our child, like, you have an opinion, different opinion on, on rapture, please stay aside. Right? All right. You have different opinion about, about the food and the regulations and when to get up. We, we accept them. We embrace them like child. And we welcome them. And that's exactly the word. Welcome them. Just embrace them so that they feel not the second class of people. Because truth is that you and him are saved by the same gospel. And you stand in the gospel not because you eat or don't eat. It has nothing to do with your acceptance by God. And he said, there's a great reason why should you do that. Why should you accept? You see, in chapter 3 and and chapter 14, he says here, verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? Why? For God has accepted him. Now, this is great reality. If God accepted him, who are you to not? Like if he accepted God, a guy into his family with all his faulty views, and he loves him, why don't we? Just because you're a little more mature in, in the faith? Just because you understand grace better than someone else, your brother who is just sincere as you are, but in this context would be a weaker brother, you take them alongside. Don't scorn them. Don't make them look like fools. You know? Don't demean them. Bring them alongside. Keep them in your company. Because they're accepted by God, same as you accepted by God. Romans 15, 7 later on says, accept one another like Christ accepted us, like Christ accepted us. When Paul says here, what Paul says here is that our relationship with one another is more important than your liberty or your tabulis lists, except one another. More important than your lifestyle. We have to consider one another. And the reason cannot be more simpler. God accepted him in this context with all his faulty views, Mature and immature, both accepted by God, and you are a child of God. I was reading commentary, and, and uh, Vernon McGee, he's with the Lord. He's, uh, uh, he's on the radio. You could, you could still hear his voice. Uh, but he gives this illustration about his own life, how ridiculous sometimes our taboo lists are. And he said that he married a wife who was brought up in Southern Baptist in Texas area, and, but he lived in California. So when she moved to California, she was shocked to go at the beach and to see that both sexes, like men and women, are bathing together, like swimming together. She said, well, that was a forbidden in Texas, forbidden in our church. I never seen another man swimming next to me. We always have a separation. 
And she was shocked for 24 hours. She said, well, how can this be? This should not be. This is not how Christians behave, and so on. But then she grew up in the church where nobody frowned on tobacco usage. Her pastor smoked. Every minister smoked. And so she was surprised that nobody smoked. And that Californian church is actually looking down on those who do smoke. And it just shows that how different standards. And when he's saying this, this message on California, some people were saying, well, yeah, you should preach against tobacco. <laughs> it just shows how our different opinions we created that list, and we could justify it. We could bring other, uh, other uh, principles. But the main principle, <clears throat> whether, whether it's, whether it's uh, you know, you think you're absolutely right in it, if it doesn't say in the scripture, you have to have a tolerance and patience and love toward other person without cutting him off and accepting him as it is. In other words, the main point of this passage, our love must be patient and tolerant to one another and their opinions and accepting them as they are, especially when we're dealing with gray matters of areas of, of life. And our bottom purpose, bottom line purpose is to not to be right, but to build one another in faith. So after the conversation, when you have this dispute, you're walking out from the conversation, do you feel more strengthened in your faith? Do you feel more accepted? Or you feel more isolated? That's a good question to ask. When you have this dispute and disagreements, do you feel like you won and that's the point? Or you feel like you encouraged the brother to believe more? Now the second point here in verses four to nine I call this the encourage one another to believe, do not enslave. Encourage one another to believe. Read with me again this passage, four to nine, to kind of refresh in our minds. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his master he stands or fall, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself, for if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living." Paul says we must encourage one another to serve not your own opinion and not to enslave to your own mastery, but to encourage people to serve one master who is Lord Jesus. Do you see that here? It's, it's repeating the Lord Jesus all over and over again that we're walking before him and anything that you do, free to do, do it as for the Lord. Now there's a, there's a balance. You can't do anything that is illegal or sinful for the Lord, right? You just can't be drunk for the sake of the Lord. But you can rejoice in certain drinks for the Lord. We must not judge but encourage one another to live by faith before the Lord because we belong to him, Paul says. We belong to him. We are servants not of one another, but we're servants of God. You know, it's not to say that we should not judge sins of people. You know, we should not discriminate at any time. So, well, no discrimination at all. Well, Jesus discriminated all the time when there was a sin. And he called people who are they are. He said, whitewash, you know, tombs. He called them. Like, what did he just do? Didn't he just discriminate them? And did he just judge them? When he called, said, do not throw your pearls before the swine. Did, did he just like call them swine or something? Yes, he did. Right? And he discriminated them because who they are. But when we're dealing with one another with brother, and if brother sin, we should say, that is sin. That is not of the Lord. You cannot excuse that particular thing for the Lord. But when we're dealing with opinion, you cannot say that. Be careful. Bible is clear when to hold to sound doctrine and, and condemn the false heresy. 
Like for instance, Paul in Galatians, he said, anybody brings another gospel, let him be what? Curse. Let, let him be damned. It's amazing. But when we're dealing with opinion, we kind of bring the same leverage and same power and same like shotgun and we're ready to unload. Be careful. Accepting, but also we should encourage. We should encourage. And the reason for the encouragement of one another, because we don't belong to one another, but we belong to the master of the Lord. And that Lord, it says here, that he's able to make him stand. And it says, he, the other person, stands before the Lord or falls before the Lord, and he will stand, it says. Do you see in verse 4? And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The word stand here, meaning that God will correct him. Now, we take in the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to run around and to change people's life into our mold or the mold of the scripture, and we have this weighty responsibility to make people better. But it's not. You have no wisdom and no power to do that. You cannot people make people stand. I mean, those who have older children understand that at a certain point you have no power. Whatever you say, whatever you convict them, they're on their own. They're making their choices. And so Paul says, look at the God who is able to make them stand and correct them if they are wrong. And it says that he will do that. He will make them stand before him. It's not your power. It's not your wisdom. And you're not the spiritual force of the Lord to do the job. I remember we lived in Ukraine. I was probably going to fifth grade or so. And my parents went to the church that is called, you know, sort of legalistic church, we could say. Now, at that time, we did not know that to have a TV was mortal sin. We just did not know that. And so we have it. And instead of the people, like uh, leaders address this properly, they send the police force, the spies, that were driving on the bicycles around our house, watching whether we have the antenna, TV antenna or not. And when they figured out that we actually do, they called my father into the special meeting to deal with his sin of having TV in the house. Now this police, we do that all the time. When we're walking by, you know, driving by, perhaps on Sunday, and you see some person mowing the lawn. What do you say? Oh, how dare he? It's Sabbath. It's a holy day. We should rest, right? And then you go and buy a gallon of milk at the store. You just violated your own standards. But yes, we keep others. And we dismiss them and we despise them because they don't hold it the day of the Lord. But God said, look, let them be. And instead of just judging them, you should encourage them. Encourage them. If they do it for the Lord, because the principle here, we must do everything that we do for the Lord. Like many of you are going to go from now here and we'll take a nap. I used to feel guilty of taking a nap on Sunday. It's like I'm useless and this is like, this is the day of the Lord. I don't have it anymore. I'm more mature than that. I'm taking a nap for the glory of God. Everything you do, you should do for the glory of God. You eat or drink for the glory of God. If that is the reason why you do, we should encourage, no matter how different the opinion is. You say, you abstain, you're not wearing masks. You do it for the Lord. Brother, by faith, do it. You're wearing masks. You have the conviction of the Lord. You do it for the Lord. By faith, do it. Encourage one another instead of just discouraging and using people as pedestal for our personal righteousness. Now, we have to be careful. Where do we put the power of standing? Because God makes you stand. And if you do it for him, and not just to make righteousness more better before him, but you just rejoice in and do it for the Lord, God promises that he will make you stand. John 10, 28, Jesus said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my own hand. We are secure. With different opinions, secure. Romans 8, 35, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because those who 
he predestined he will bring to glory. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will not cast away. Jude 24, 25 says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. To the only wise God, our Savior. 1 Peter 1, 5 says, and keep by the power of God through faith into salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. We're not rejoicing in our ability to sustain ourselves and to correct people. We are rejoicing because God does it. No matter that we might be off, off. So in these non-essential issues, one thing to remember, are you doing it for the Lord? Are you doing it for the Lord? With full conviction, without judging yourself. Because if you're doing sort of, kind of, with the doubt, you will sin against your conscience. Not because that thing is sinful. Let me bring you an example. If someone would offer you a glass of wine, but you in your conviction think that you should not drink for the Lord. This is your conviction. But then you say, well, you know what? Maybe I should drink. And you drink it against your conscience. Even though the glass of wine does not make you sin, but because you violated the conscience and acted at night by faith, you have sinned. And God is, Bible is, is, is warning us also. Don't prone people. Don't put stumbling blocks to people that they are not ready to do so. Don't push them. Don't impose your opinions as a more mature Christian or as less mature Christian. It doesn't matter. You should not impose your opinion on, on, on others because the most important thing that we walk by faith. Everything that you have to do, you have to have a conviction that is from the Lord. The motive is crucial here. What do you do? You do for the Lord. You do it for the glory of Christ, it says. If you, if you keep this day holy, you decide not to work, do it for the Lord. Know that that does not going to bring you closer to God or make you less worthy in God's sight. You just do it out of the joy of serving God. You know, because Paul says here, for no one lives for himself. And when we live, we do a lot of stuff. We eat, we drink, we go to bathroom. It's everything. We live and we die. We, we do for the sake of God. We're not living simply for ourselves. But here's another reason why not to judge other people's liberty before God. Because Christ is the master who redeemed them. Who redeemed them. It says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls and he will stand. Because the Lord will make him stand. And Christ redeemed him for himself to service. When we're dealing with the great areas of life, try to remember that you are not the master. You're not the responsible party here. You cannot judge the motivation, but also you cannot change anything. You need to bring them to one and only master and say, you are dealing with God. You're dealing with the holy God who saved you. He is your master. He's the only master you should serve. You should never enslave to anybody else or anybody's opinion, but to him and to his. We don't need to, be, to fear our legalistic brother, those who live in their, you know, in their taboos, that they would enslave us. We should be free, but on the other hand, we should not be enslaved by the demands of, 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 of them, but also not to impose our, our freedom because we care for people in their faith. The last uh, uh, point that I want to make here in verses 10 to 12 is that we must instruct each other instead of judging. Instruct each other about the future judgment. Whatever you do for the Lord, you're saying you're doing it for the Lord, great. Just remember this, that you as a Christian will appear before Christ and you will answer for everything that you do. I hope you're not lying that you're doing this for Christ. But you will answer for everything that you do and for every motivation you will lay bare. And so the danger is that if you didn't do it, 
you will be put to shame. Now, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you would lose perhaps your reward. So in verses 10 to 12, Paul reminds us, and he said, by you, who do you judge your brother? He's talking to the strong brother. And then he's talking to the weak brother. Or you, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall get praise to God. Give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Instead of just condemning one another, we just want to remind ourselves about the responsibility that I'm not responsible for you, but guess what? You're responsible for you. And you're dealing with it before the Lord. And whatever you do, do it for him. Apostle gives us another reason to prevent believers from judging and despising one another. Not only that they are servants of God and they're brethren in the family of God, but they must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, just a word about judgment seat here. Now, everybody's going to appear in this world before the great white throne in Revelation 20, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that every believer will appear before judgment or the bar stool of Christ when he will deal with you one on one. Here's Paul addressing strong in faith and weak in faith and say, well, just remember that. That we are not the Holy Spirit to change ourselves. God is the one who changes us, but also God is our authority and he's our judge. He's our judge. Remember, every believer will have a divine appointment before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, years ago, we went to a restaurant with my wife and a couple of friends, uh, it was kind of expensive restaurant. We we didn't couldn't afford everything that we want. We we'll look at the menu and just look at the the prices on, on the left, you know, on the right, and so order something. We didn't order drinks, no coke, nothing, just water, and there was a white white cloth and everything was good. It was old town, and then I spilled the water, you know, clumsy as I was, I spilled the water. And the, the servant got very upset with me. He was very rude and, and make me f- like a fool, like an idiot. Like, make me feel like that. So I, in my heart, I wanted to wrap him in this white cloth, right, and just bury him somewhere over there. But I remember this verse and saying, I will, he will stand before the judgment seat of God and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian. And so I, instead of crucifying him, I crucify myself and saying, I need to have law. Yes, he was wrong. Yes, he hurt me. But I will be responsible for my motivation and I want to please the Lord here. As a Christian, we don't go to the judgment and lose in salvation because Jesus guarantees us and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And therefore, this thought, I'll be judged of my motivation before God help me not to judge others. Because this is what he will judge you for, for judging others' people. And we should not do that. The fact that I will stand before God's judgment seat should also cause me to refrain from speaking against brother, from diminishing him, or doing or saying something that is not clearly commanded, but imposing and enslaving him to my own opinion. It helps me. And if I think, that is he doing something wrong, I should pray for him. And if he's doing something unbiblical, I should tell him. But if it's his opinion and he's free to do so, I should encourage him to do it for the sake of God. Because at the end of the day, Paul says, everyone will praise God. Everyone. Both parties will praise God. There will be love and adoration and here's praise and it says that every tongue shall Give praise to God. So when we're prone to 
judge other people think that they're accepted by God and they're in God's family and you're on the same level, you're accepted by Christ equally, not because of your performance, but because Christ died and he shed his own blood. When we're prone to judge other people's opinion and try to correct them, understand that it's his power to hold them and he's going to deal with them also and that they're serving God as the best they can best they can, and encourage them to do so. And also remember and remind them that we will stand all before Christ and we'll give to him account instead of to us, right? Our love must be patient and tolerant of other believers' opinions, especially when we're dealing with non-essential matters of life. And our bottom line, how we deal with one another, we should build faith with one another. It's interesting. There's a story about uh, Bible teacher Ironside uh, that he encountered with a young Muslim believer who came from India in the United States. His name was Muhammad Ali, not the boxer, but uh, just coincidence. And uh, he was ready to go back to India into his Muslim family. And so they have a potluck here in the church and the pastor's wife passing out ham sandwich to him and saying, just, you know, we were sharing potluck here. And he said, well, is that, is that uh, a ham? And she said, yes, well, I can't have it. And she, she started laughing at him. It's like, why, don't you know that we liberated and we could eat whatever we want? Like, we're free. He said, yeah, I know that. I, I am free to eat, but also free not to eat. And the reason why I'm, I chose not to eat because next week I'm going back to India, to my father's house, who is strict Muslim. And the first question he will ask me, are those infidels taught you how to eat hog? And I would say, no, father. The, this meat never entered my mouth. And by this, by giving my liberty, I will be able to enter a father's house and to mingle with him and to preach gospel. You see what we do? We're building one another. We're not just flashing our liberty. We're not just flashing our list of do or to do. We're considering one another in one another's faith. When you communicate with one another, what are you trying to do? Just to say and be pleasant, just not to touch people's toes, you know, make sure that you don't step. Or when you're addressing the issues, you're doing it in such a way that you could freely express yourself because you have conviction of the Holy Spirit that it is right and that's for the Lord, but in such a way that it's not diminishing the other person, but lift him up. And agreeing and saying, yeah, even though you differ from me, since you're doing it by faith, for the Lord, accepted by God, serving Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will give an account, I bless you, brother. Do it. Can we do that as a church? Can we encourage one another and not judge? Um, and I want to encourage you to kind of go through your own list of your own taboos and to do or not to do and, and, and see that, that you have it and kind of cross it over and just, it just go deeper to the gospel and, and wrestle with it for yourself. Like, is that biblical? Am I standing in freedom? Did Christ freed me from the slavery and tyranny of this weaker brother? Did he freed me from my own imposed opinions upon myself that by doing them, I will be better in God's eyes? Or he just, just nailed it all to the cross and freed me, so now I'm free to serve him as his child. Does this make sense? Now, it, it's a hot topic about the, the vaccine, and, and you have to be careful yourself and do your own research, right? But I, 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 could, I could free you right here, right now. Bible has nothing to say about vaccine. God give you freedom and liberty 
to think and to have your own conviction without judging others and to keep that. And by doing that, you will praise God and serve him well. So, now, we want that people give us the answers, right? And you might be disappointed. You just didn't give us answers. Well, tell us what the Bible says. Well, I can't because it doesn't. Because it doesn't. Now, there's other principles that we could utilize and, and battle through and think through. But we want to be scriptural. And I think Bible purposefully omits those things. God purposefully does not speak directly and give us right and wrong answer at these areas precisely that we, we depend on him and that we lean to him and study his word and study his character and learn how to please him in all respects and do it out of freedom and faith. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. And we know that we fall short. We don't understand everything in the word. We want to be moved by the love of God, not just by the commandments of God. But, but the love of God will teach us how to be pleasing in your sight. Not to gain, not to earn salvation, but just to be pleasing. That's the, our, our aim and our goal. We're walking in the fear of God because we know we will stand before you who saved our souls and who, who didn't hesitate at the cross, who gave his soul for our sakes. And we want to praise you here and now in everything that we do without excusing our sin and being in loss, but also stay in freedom that you give us and to bring freedom to people who are suffering from all sorts of demands of the flesh. Help us to encourage one another as a church. Help us to live for you and love you from sincere heart with full faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.